Hi, I'm Clarence. And I'm Aditi. And we're here with Oliver. And we're here to talk about his thesis and um, himself in general, since he is a final year student, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Last year. yeah. So could you tell us about yourself, Oliver? Um, who are you? What do you do? And um, yeah, just tell us about yourself. What degree do you do? So I've been studying software engineering for the last almost four years now. And I'm coming to the end of that degree. I was initially enrolled in software engineering commerce, but ended up dropping the commerce this year. Okay. So why in particular did you choose software engineering slash comp? And why did you drop commerce? So I initially chose to do software engineering just as a sort of luck of the draw type thing. So I was interviewing for co-op and I initially wanted to do electrical engineering and there's only one or two co-op spaces for electrical engineering. Um, so they asked me, did I want to interview for software engineering instead? And I said yes. And then whilst I was doing the research for my interview, I realized that I actually did want to become a software engineer. So it was a bit of a convoluted way. But... So you kind of just fell into the role and you managed to stick with it. Exactly. Through. And the commerce was a way of sort of hedging my bet in case I didn't like software engineering, but then I could pivot into something more broad. Okay. Um, so from doing a little bit of a stalk on your LinkedIn, it seems like you have a lot of extracurriculars um, with Oz Harvest and the ha we heard you've done many hackathons. Um, so can you tell us a bit about how you got into both those sort of areas? So, I initially heard about Oz Harvest through MasterChef. Oh, yeah. So MasterChef had them as a guest one of the seasons, maybe the season one or season two. Mm -hmm. uh, and after that, I contacted them to try and start volunteering in high school. Oh, wow. But they had a minimum age requirement. So as soon as I turned 18, I joined. And then I was sort of just volunteering in the kitchens there for a while. And they sort of moved me into the accounting team when I started studying commerce. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of my first job experience. Cool. What would you say your, um, what was your experience of Oz Harvest? Would you recommend doing that type of volunteering to somebody else? I think a charity like that is a really good place to work for because they have a really strong, it, it's kind of run like a corporate and they know what they're doing they've got a very focused vision and they're very effective at what they're doing so working for a charity of that size is kind of good in a way because you have a lot of support behind you cool so we also when we were doing a quick LinkedIn stalk we saw that you have done a lot of hackathons um, like we have it on our doc and you you did like three explicitly in 2017 and you got like first second and highly commended so could you tell us about your experience with hackathons um what's so great about them why did you do three in a year and all that all that jazz yeah so i found my first hackathon through facebook through a friend of mine who recommended going to this macquarie hackathon which was at macquarie university and there was a CSE pub crawl that night. And my initial plan was to go to the hackathon and then at night time go to the pub crawl. But the hackathon started going and I was kind of 
really enjoying it and piggybacking off to really good data scientists that I decided to stay. Um, and luckily I did because we ended up doing quite well. And you came second, I believe. Yeah. And it was a great experience overall. And then from that I experience, I started gathering an interest in hackathons. There was a person at that hackathon who was trying to form a hackathon team. And so I joined that team and then the rest of the hackathons in 2017, we did as a team from that initial hackathon. Well, so again, you kind of fell into it just like with your degree. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> are you continuing with that? Are you continuing to do hackathons now? Are you planning to do any in the coming years? So I did a lot in 2018 as well, but with this year, I've decided to sort of relax a little. Um, but my main focus, if I were to do any more hackathons in the future, is pick up on ones that have a large social impact rather than ones that are more geared towards specific business problems. Cool. Don't myself on this creepy third report. Yep. Oh, I... <laughs> I regret this comfortable chair choice now. Do you want to, do you want to no, it's fine. I cannot move for the next hour. <laughs> um, okay, so just to round up your background, um, it also seems like you've had quite a range of jobs slash internships over the past couple of years. Um, so can you give us a bit of a rundown on how you got into them and um, where you where you sort of work? And your experiences of that. Okay. So around about the time that I started doing hackathons, my brother, who was working for Alinta at the time, had had a talking, had had a meeting with his boss, and essentially they described a computer science problem where they wanted to model how a battery would sort of interact with the energy grid. And they were initially going to get a consultant to do this, and my brother sort of from me going half decently in the hackathon, had that little faith in me. Um, and so decided to ask if I wanted to help out in the team. So I initially did that one project and then I was sort of exploring different options of energy mixes and modeling how they interacted with the energy market. And then from the hackathon, it was also run by a company called Tau, which is a life insurer. And after the hackathon, the person who was running the hackathon reached out to me and asked if I wanted to interview there. So then I ended up interviewing for Tao and then switched from Alinta to Tao, where I'm still working with the person who initially recruited me, but on separate projects now. And uh, you also worked at Microsoft as a software engineering intern. How was that? That was a great experience. I'm sure. A lot of people have heard a lot from those type of tech internships. Yeah. The best way that I can sort of describe it is it's kind of akin to going on exchange, except you're working nine till five during the week and you get paid as well, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. And you get experience. So, yeah. So all these experiences were before your, um, your current year, your thesis year, although like you said, you're still working in TAL. Uh, how did your experiences working in those positions contribute to um, the development of and you working on your thesis? 
So I think the biggest thing that you get taught when you do internships in general is being able to apply the knowledge that you've already got and understand areas where you haven't been taught or where something lies outside of a course. When a lot of the projects require knowledge that actually lies outside of the courses, then you sort of become familiar with how to approach those problems that you've come in cold against. And with thesis, my thesis project in particular, I had no overlap between any CS projects that I'd done through courses and the thesis itself. And so it was coming in cold to a problem and how do I interact with that? How do I talk to people who know way more than I do about it? More generally, how do I reach out to different developers? And that sort of things that was actually quite similar to doing job experience. So I think they could kind of complement each other in that if you do a thesis, it would kind of help with real world job problems and vice versa. Cool. So um, in saying that, can you tell us just a little bit about what your thesis is actually about? Um, And yeah, okay, we'll start with that. So my thesis is, my, my thesis in short is essentially to help diagnose a medical condition called facial nerve palsy. So what facial nerve palsy is, is when one side of your face will not function correctly due to a problem with one of the facial nerves. So you can end up with a drooping eye, drooping mouth, um, a forehead that doesn't really move, or you can end up with paralysis across any side of that face. So the objective of the tool is to be able to grade and assess how bad the facial nerve palsy is. If you know how bad the facial nerve palsy is, you can then treat it more effectively, but you can also then create more effective clinical trials of drugs because then you can see what the result before and after operation or use of the drug is. So it can inform the use of new treatments that they haven't come up with yet because right now the method of assessment is very subjective. So it means that between different observers, so different clinicians, they can get vastly different results for how bad the facial nerve palsy is because they essentially answer in a questionnaire and assess, oh, your forehead is a four out of five bad rather than having an actual numerical objective quantitative measure. So it's a forehead rather than a five bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so the point of your thesis is to provide a objective diagnosis of facial nerve palsy, would you say? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So is it? So it's more of a tool to supplement um, medical professionals in that regard. Exactly. And one thing that we've been trying to do the whole way along is be very transparent with how it's working with medical professionals and to allow them to adjust the system so it can take in their input rather than just doing its own thing. Because a big thing is that a lot of the clinicians won't bother to use a tool if they don't understand how it's working and they're rightfully so like quite suspicious of it. Cool. So how is it implemented? Um, as in what language do you use to... I'm assuming it's like a... 
it's a project that was implemented through programming, correct? And correct. if so, then mm -hmm. what what language did you use? And um, like, I'm assuming you also use a camera to like help mm -hmm. with that. And just tell us about the implementation side of it. So essentially, we inherited this project in the first place from a previous thesis student, and with the Xboxes, there was this camera that came out with Xboxes that was this great hit for the Kinect. Yes. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, not so great hit. But one good side effect of the Kinect coming out was it sort of was the first 3D camera released that was very cheap. So under $300. And essentially those 3D cameras, they have your classic RGB strings but they also have an additional stream to them called the depth stream. And that essentially measures how far away from the camera a particular pixel is. So it means that you end up with, at every point in your pixel map, you'll have the three RGB components, but also a depth component. Mm -hmm. And essentially the previous thesis um, student had built on top of the Kinect, but more specifically the Kinect SDK. And so that was all written in C-sharp. Now, when we came to the project, they'd lost the Connect, And yeah. because the it was so heavily coupled with the Connect, mm -hmm. and everything was written in C-sharp, it wasn't, didn't have cross-platform support or anything. So with the help of our supervisor, we decided to start anew and <laughs> start from scratch. Um, so we selected a new camera and our whole project has sort of now been around how do you make a system that regardless of what camera you plug in is going to work and also regardless of whether you're on Linux, Windows or Mac is going to work. Mm -hmm. So an open platform and an open approach to hardware. And we essentially our stack has ended up being a JavaScript Electron app. So that's what Visual Studio Code and a bunch of other applications and that are written in GitHub, GitHub Desktop, I think is written in it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that enables you to have the cross-platform support. And then we have an analysis run engine running in the background in Python. And the reason why we chose Python for that is just because it has easy access to all the computer vision libraries. Eventually the code will have to be ported across into C++, but that's for future. Yeah, yes. Um, so obviously doing a thesis is quite a massive undertaking. So before you started going back to like maybe the a year ago, um, did you have sort of any preconceived ideas on what it would entail versus at nearly at the end of it and the realities of it? So my brother had done a thesis in renewable energy engineering and I knew not what not to do from that. Um, <laughs> Essentially, he left his entire thesis for the last three oh, weeks. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> yeah. and nobody saw him for those weeks. Um, so I, I, I knew that it required a lot of consistent work. What was the other part of your question? Um, just any essentially like yeah. first impression. Yeah. 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 So my other expectations were that the project I wanted to learn quite a lot from it. Um, and I think the scope of a thesis project is almost whatever you and your supervisor make of it. So it ends up heavily dependent on what topic you choose 
who the supervisor is. And that sort of began to frame my expectations. So after meeting with a couple of different supervisors and picking my current supervisor, then I had a better understanding of what was the sort of scope of the project. Cool. So while conducting the, while writing up your thesis, what was that like? What was the experience of actually um, running through and completing the, like, sorry, what was the experience of basically doing the actual thesis itself, pushing it through to completion? What was that like? So I'll I'll sort of talk from start to finish. Mm -hmm. So initially I picked the topic, then I realized that the topic was going to be far too large for me to handle on my own. Um, so I asked a close friend of mine if he wanted to do the thesis with me. So then with permission from the supervisor, we've we decided to do a joint thesis. Um, and so essentially the first term we spent doing a lot of research in the area. It's actually understanding what the problem was, understanding what the deficiencies in the previous system were that were built and then trying to formulate a framework so that we could sort of satisfy different functional criteria that the system should actually have. Um, and then the second part of thesis, thesis B, was spent mainly implementing the system and collecting data from different facial nerve palsy patients. And then thesis C was finishing the implementation, collecting more data, and then verifying that the system was actually working by backtesting the system on all the data that we'd collected. And so is that the thesis A, B, and C that split into like the one per trimester? Is that exactly, that's the idea. It used to be thesis A, thesis B. Right. So it's a year-long thing. A year-long thing, yeah. yeah. So uh, from what I gather, from what you've told us, it's the process of completing a thesis is you choose what you want to do and then you run through all the criteria and then fulfill that criteria until the very end. So in that regard, I assume it's completely different from previous years um, that like previous years of uni. So previously, I, they essentially had thesis A, thesis B sort of condensed into thesis A. Mm -hmm. So you do the assessment and the literature review slightly earlier and then you start the implementation. And then thesis C was continuing with the implementation and writing the report and the the other part of that was the was it almost a hidden assumption that over the the holidays between thesis A and thesis B, you'd be working on the implementation. So trimesters, I wouldn't say has actually negatively impacted thesis. I think it's actually good because it's spread out the length of it. Well, you can't say that that's a nuclear take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so so this year, did you was it only focused on the thesis, or were you doing any other? normal sort of comp courses along so unfortunately this is the downside of it being trimesters is instead of each of the thesis courses being six units they've reduced them to be four units oh, okay. which isn't really a good indicator of the amount of work that they require they're more like six or eight unit subjects each um so they're kind of undervalued in that yeah. sense which means that also at the same time you have to take two comp subjects oh, two. Yeah. So, okay. and because i had an extra subject that i had to take uh, that meant in my first trimester i had to overload 
So with three comp subjects and a thesis. Oof. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Um, what I meant by my previous question was, how's the year of doing a thesis different in terms of what is expected of you and what you'll cover, what you cover, and your ex- your attitudes to studying compared to something like first year, second year, third year. I think you get into a lot of the groove of how to manage comp subjects generally. Like you know, at what time of trimester or semester you're meant to be at one point. Mm-hmm. You have strategies to deal with different assessments, so your time management in, by your last year becomes really good, and so that means that you can work on something else on the side more consistently. So it's more about, so at the point of you beginning a uh, thesis project, it's when you expect to be, sorry, it's when you expect your time management to be at a level where you can become really self-reliant, I guess, and be consistent in terms of time. Right, I'm I'm slightly confused by this whole. Okay. Yeah, uh, the question was essentially compare and contrast your experience of completing your thesis this year to previous years of study in terms of content as well as your attitudes towards it. Okay. So I, I think the biggest difference for me this year as opposed to previous years was I was always doing a lot of part-time work and knowing that thesis was going to be an undertaking, I dropped the part-time work to work on my thesis. So for me, it was kind of as if thesis took the place of part-time work, and then I had a slightly reduced comp load through the trimesters. And so personally, it wasn't too bad adjusting, and it ended up being a similar workload to sort of working one, two days a week, plus a comp load. Cool. Um, So something that I'm pretty interested to do with theses, Um, Basically, in selecting the topic, it's something you're going to get to know quite closely over the course of the year. So how did you go about choosing what you wanted to focus on um, and what topic you wanted to choose? Because you said you inherited it, so are you given any sort of options and are there limitations on what you can choose as a topic? So I guess there are two main approaches. The first approach is that you know what topic you want to do off the top of your head. So you're really passionate about one thing and you know that you want to write your thesis in that. So it could be, I'm really interested in how do you compress 3D videos? So if that was the case that you picked a topic like that, then you'd look at the different lectures lecturers within the CSC school and you're trying to find a lecturer or supervisor who has some sort of knowledge of that area of study and then you'd go and talk to them and ask them if they'd be willing to supervise you in that area. So that's the approach that you'd really take if you knew what project you wanted to do. For most people that's not really the case. So then there's the second option which is Essentially, there's a list of thesis topics. So on Moodle, there's a Moodle channel and it's got a list of all of the different thesis topics. And so different researchers and lecturers essentially post different thesis topics on that page. And so there are a couple of hundred and you can look through and it's got the details of who would you be, your supervisor and assessor and a sort of outline of those topics. 
So if you like the look of one of those topics, then you email the same. Uh, you email the associated lecturer mm -hmm. or supervisor, and you have a meeting with them and sort of discuss what that topic actually would be like in more depth. Um, and this needs to be done before the end of the first week oh, of wow. the first trimester. Wow. That's um, a very short time frame. So because That's of my great. internship, I actually came back on Friday. Oh. And I would advise not to do what I'd done, which is leave it all to the last minute. Um, so I interviewed with people on the Friday and had to pick a topic basically on the wow. spot. So which option did you go with? Did you go with, um, were you really set on doing what you ended up doing or did you choose that from a list? No, so essentially I had, in the list I picked three or four that I was particularly interested in. And one of them required me to speak to Nigel Lovell, who's my now supervisor, about a specific topic. I, when I was speaking to him, I realized that I didn't really want to do that topic, but he proposed to me this other topic. And so then I decided to do that from him. So it's kind of, it's quite fluid. You sort of have a project defined to you or you define it yourself. And then you work with your thesis supervisors to sort of firm up the area of the research that you actually want to study. And then you perform your research. Okay, so you said that there were three or four other topics that you wanted to choose from that list. What were, um, what were those topics, and why did you end up choosing your current one out of those? So there was a business focus one that sort of worked on how do I translate physical receipts into digital receipts and translate all the data. There was another one on how to extract tables from PDFs. And then there were the two biomedical ones that I was looking at. I think one, the other one that I didn't end up choosing was to do with how blood or blood data to some degree. I ended up not choosing the blood data one because there wasn't enough data associated with it. And then I sort of decided that in my final year, I didn't want to do something businessy related and wanted to focus on something more altruistic. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with relation to the topics that you can choose, it seems like with the first option you mentioned, the first option being that you can, um, you think of a thesis yourself and then you propose it to a supervisor compared to the second option of choosing from a list. There are, I feel like there are more limitations in the choice of a topic with the second option than the first, would you say that's true? And if so, what sort of limitations are there as a total when choosing a topic thesis? I mean, thesis topic. I would say that they're not particularly limited. They're more given as a guide. So if you speak to the supervisor, they're actually very flexible within that topic. It's just to give you ideas. So I wouldn't be able to generate more than a couple ideas mm -hmm. on my own at the end of last year. But after doing this research project, I would have maybe 10 ideas of different thesis topics that people could do based off the work that I'd done. So like that, the supervisors have that same insight. They understand their area of work and different areas that need investigation. So I think having those topics actually can help stimulate you to think about what you're interested in 
and then you can sort of bounce off your supervisor to actually find the right topic that you want to do. So it's kind of like when there's a key scientific discovery, it raises more questions than it asks, uh, than it answers. Exactly. Yeah. And the supervisors know what those new questions are. And a lot of them are on the forefront of research. So instead of having to go from your networks 101 and then try and extrapolate from that, they know networks 101. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you've taught quite a lot now about your supervisor and what sort of, throughout the process, what sort of interactions do you have with them? Are they, is it sort of meetings every now and then or how do they help guide your thesis? So your supervisor and your interaction with your supervisor is super varied between different thesis students. So I know some people who have only met with their supervisor twice or three times throughout their entire thesis. I meet with my supervisor every week and he's also got some assistants that we can ask questions to during the week who are more software because he's on the biomed side. So for us, there was a high level of contact between us and the supervisor. And we also had clinicians from the, um, the clinic associated with facial nerve palsy that would meet with every week as well. So for us, there was a high interaction and we had a lot of meetings associated with our thesis, but I know other thesis topics where they've only met a handful of times with mm-hmm. their thesis supervisor. So what were the, what, would you say that there were any thing, would you say that there were any things that your supervisor did for you that were, that was, that was critical to the completion of your project? Like, did they do something for you or for the project that kind of really provided the project with impetus to um, completion? I, I think the critical role of the supervisor for us was providing continual feedback. So make sure that if you start going along the wrong path, you find out quickly and not at the end of your thesis. Whereas if you don't have that constant rapport or contact with your thesis supervisor, then you can end up going on the completely wrong track and only finding out a month or two months too late. Um, So I think it's quite good actually having that regular meeting time. And it just also means that it is sort of like a project standoff. So every week, you know, you have to have done something. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're more accountable. Whereas like if you have a, you a meeting every two months and you can yeah. tend to do all of the work in that last week before the meeting. So like every week I'd have to come in and have something new to say and be like, this is a new feature that we've done, which means that you, I think you, you're forced to have that consistency of work. Yeah. Um, so I've heard from friends that your choice of supervisor can really make or break your thesis, but from what you've said, it also seems like the attitude of, the student is also critical. Like you said, um, some people don't really get in contact with their supervisor. So to what extent is the notion that the supervisor is critical to the success of the thesis true? I think there's sort of a middle ground between what I've said and what your friends have described. Like my thesis supervisor was committed and I was committed. So it meant that we met a lot. If you're not committed and your supervisor is committed, you're not going to meet a lot, but vice versa too. Like if you're really committed and your supervisor isn't that committed, then you won't really meet a lot. And I've met a lot of people who have 
been super committed, done super consistent work, but have just never really had the contact with their supervisors because they've been really busy with conferences, their own research and other things. So I think, yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah. yeah. So we heard from our directors that somebody had written a paper that was along the same lines as what you conducted your thesis on. And he was somebody from, he was a professor from Egypt, I believe, who wrote some literature on it. Don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> yeah, so... So, so um, <laughs> would, you, would you say that... Would you say that that kind of academic reinforcement was beneficial to your thesis? So I, I, I think this is why they get you to conduct a literature survey mm-hmm. early on. So you understand what the literature is around your thesis. Luckily for us, that paper that came out only sort of moderately overlapped with our thesis. And so when we've been writing our thesis, we've actually had to reframe the thesis so that it's more in terms of how to scale one of these spatial nerve palsy projects rather than the actual building of it. Um, And so that's ended up the unique part of our thesis. So even though that there's a quite a bit of overlap, we've managed to just pivot and sort of change the focus. And then that's also allowed us to put that really recent paper into our literature review. And so then you can sort of build upon what they've done too and sort of talk about the bonuses of what they've done as opposed to you, how you can improve your system, but also the, the main differences that sort of make your system stand out and why it's unique and why it's of research value. So since that paper was released, have you had to alter your thesis a lot or was it just a minor sort of shift in focus? So we didn't actually have to change any of the implementation itself, but we had to change how we were writing the thesis paper. So we had to reframe what was actually being written about. How do we sort of write the research question in such a way that it doesn't overlap? Um, okay, so you are now nearly at the end of your thesis. It hasn't been submitted yet, has it? No, I've got a week. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, but I feel like you have a pretty good idea on the whole process. So would you say that writing a thesis is for everybody or is there a certain personality that you think would be suited to it more than others? I think it really depends on what you want to do. So some people would say maybe you only do honours if you want to do a master's or a doctorate. But I think it may be worth doing independent of if you think that you want to do research afterwards or not. Personally, I knew that I wasn't really interested in doing a master's or a doctorate. But having done this thesis, I would consider doing one now in a couple of years time. So I think you don't actually know whether you should or you shouldn't until you start to do it. And I think that regardless of whether you like it or not, you'll still develop a lot of skills in your thesis topic area. You kind of... So with that response, you kind of answered the next question that we were going to ask, which was, uh, would you consider going down a more academic path like into academia? now that you've had a taste of it and you've already retrospect, like, sorry, already answered that question with your response. 
Um, so is that an actual possibility or would you, are you more geared towards finding an actual role in software engineering for now? So I think the main thing that I've realized with academia as opposed to working in industry is that academia you sort of pick the research topic and you pick your area of research and that makes it very interesting but it also makes it a far more personal task whereas with where you're working in industry you're working as part of a large team it's very prescriptive in what you have to work on and you can change roles or you can change companies but it's always mostly going to be someone dictating to you what you sort of working on i think that ironically startups can be the bridge between the two so if you think of a startup as you pick a topic that you want to work on and you think that there can be a large area of impact on it's almost like doing a research project into that area because no one's sort of really gone on that road and you can sort of direct your path as you will so i think that there's some something to be said of an overlap between the two cool so in retrospect in hindsight how different was the experience of completing your thesis to your impressions and expectations first going into it? So the first thing that I'd say is that I thought that initially the literature review was a bit of a waste of time. I just wanted to only get started on the development. I didn't really care for doing the literature review per, sort of properly the first time. But in hindsight i'd say that that's very different i think that the literature review is actually kind of critical to how you frame your research um and allows you to actually be very specific and target a specific area of the research that does have the deficiency um but more generally i think that my expectations sort of met with reality a bit in that it's not necessarily always going to be a straightforward project there are always going to be hiccups where you don't expect there to be hiccups, mm -hmm. um, like any computer science project. <laughs> yeah, we know that too well. Yeah. Um, so, would you say there's, if you could sum it up, would there be like, what's the most valuable or best thing that you've learned from this entire experience? Because it's a hard thing to say for a year's work, but is there anything that you are really glad that you gained from it? I think the biggest thing is being able to work consistently on a project of of your own choosing. So I know that before, unless it was something that I was doing at work or something that I had to do with it in a computer science project, I'd be uninclined to work on anything for more than a day or two. Whereas working on something that's very self-driven over a long period of time, it, it's, you learn quite a lot on how to self-motivate yourself to keep going on that. So I think that it allows you to pick up other projects in the future that you're interested with and actually run with them rather than dumping them after your first roadblock. Cool. I'm actually kind of getting, I'm actually looking forward to completing my honors year now. <laughs> now, that, now that I've had, um, now that I've talked to someone who's actually completed it. So um, in addition to doing a thesis or a project. I know that students are sometimes able to assist with researchers at UNSW and other unis by reaching out to the project supervisors. 
Um, have you had experience with this or do you know anybody who has had experience with this and would you recommend doing this? So I think what is possible is I think there are these taste of research scholarships that I've mm -hmm. heard about. Yeah. I'm not sure about the details of that, but I think there may be some over that there. I think if you're not so much interested in having a scholarship and doing unpaid work, a lot of these supervisors aren't really going to decline that as such. I know that there's one person who's coming in over the summer to just get a bit of a taste of research and is actually going to pick up on our project. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that that is possible if you talk to a supervisor and you just want to try something out over the summer. But I think it's more a case-by-case -case basis rather than there's a system in place outside of the taste for research. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was... That's the impression I got as well. Yeah. Cool. So that's pretty much it for a thesis discussion, unless there's something that you want to elaborate on. No? Any, yeah, any like major points that we've um, Cool. So essentially, um, your experience with completing a thesis has been positive and you would recommend it to those who are kind of interested in doing it. Yeah. I, I think the other big positive is that if you're doing a four-year degree, I, I think this is more the career side of me talking. If you're doing a four-year degree with an honours part, means that you can do a lot of the internships at the end of your third year. And that requires you in interviewing at the start of your third year. Um, if you're doing straight computer science, which is three years long, it means that you're interviewing for a lot of these spaces at the start of your second year. And I actually personally think that you have quite a lot of a disadvantage if you started coding as soon as you came to university compared to people who have been coding maybe twice the amount of time as you. So I think that there's sort of another hidden sort of benefiting. Yeah, that was nice for a third year degree was because second year's your penultimate and that just... Yeah, and, and, and personally, I tried throwing my resume into every single company under the sun in second year and never heard back from anything. So I know what it's like to be in that boat. And I think having that extra year of having work experience and becoming more skilled allowed me to get the interviews and actually just nail the interviews when I did get them. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of people really want to just jump into the workforce um, as soon as possible. But in retrospect, it doesn't seem like a year is really that much of a time difference. No. no. Exactly. Yeah. No. Cool. So, um, in hindsight, with all the years of uni you've completed doing CSE, CSE, <laughs> what was your favorite course and why is that? That's a really good question. I think there are two courses that come to mind. The first one was 1927. So, it was in the old syllabus before they started changing everything. And I just loved that course. What was it? It, it was essentially kind of like, I, I think it's 2522. Two, two. Oh, no, 2511. Two, two, what was the name of it? It was like data structures oh, and two, algorithms. Five, two, one. Okay, 2521. Yeah. Two, so it was the course that's the equivalent of 2521. But because the semesters were a bit longer, mm -hmm. meant that you also covered a bit more content than they currently do. And one of the assignments in that was to play a board game called the fury of dracula what uh, 
And that was possibly the best assignment that we've ever gotten given, in my opinion. It just had, it just fit so well with the course because he had a lot of graph theory in it. But there was just so much scope to do whatever you wanted to do within playing the game. And it got incredibly competitive um, in our year. So I, I really enjoyed that one. And then the other course that I really enjoyed was one that I actually took last trimester called Web Compression and Search. And that course taught me, I guess, about compression, but more broadly how to optimize code properly, how to write efficient code. What's that? was using C++, which I've never really used properly before. Um, and that course was very challenging, but very rewarding at the same time. Cool. What code was that? What was the course code? I don't know. Or we'll just put it in the show notes at the you very end. You can edit that yeah. in yeah. just to <laughs> 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 right, we'll just be more I'll, I'll look it up and then I'll just say it and then you can edit it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Now. Comp 9319. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> that is. <laughs> um, yeah. I assume, in addition to programming for uni, you also did uh, programming in your spare time, like as a hobby, kind of like doing side projects, because that kind of ties into like hackathons and stuff, right? So, with that, what were there any resources that you used that would recommend? Like, what are the best resources that you use, in your opinion? So I must say that outside of hackathons, I didn't really pursue coding that much in my free time. Because between hackathons, working part-time and studying it, I was sort of a bit sick of it yeah. to be doing it 24-7. I know there are people who love and breathe it and fair game to them, but just personally, I can't do that. Insane. Um, I, I think the best thing is learning how to read documentation properly. So a lot of stuff is on Stack Overflow, which is amazing. But there's a lot of stuff that isn't on Stack Overflow. And when that's the case, knowing how to effectively look through documentation and read documentation is really important. Um, and it also informs you how you should write your own documentation a bit. Um, so I know that when I was doing my internship, one of the teams that I was working with, I won't name it, um, they hadn't documented their work properly and I was trying to perform an integration from my teams to their teams. And it involved, in the end, just doing a lot of network tracing and sniffing, um, just because they hadn't sort of made the required documentation. Um, so I was trying to trace requests to see what objects were actually inside these requests, because there's no documentation of actually what to put in these requests. I was at least giving Adrian Ray a, yeah. a personal essay here. So, so it's Ad very so deep. Adrian's, He's like personal. Adrian's gripe. I'm gonna. I'm gonna quote. Um, oh. Sorry, Adrian. <laughs> quote. I sometimes struggle with wholly having my identity fixed to how well I'm doing in uni or how deep I'm throwing myself into computer science. This might be because programming used to be a hobby and now it's morphed into a career prospect, which somehow makes it more serious and less fun. Have you gone through that? Any tips on countering the burnout? Unquote. Sorry, Adrian, I'm not mocking you. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> so I think personally, I never really had the hobby side before I started university. So I don't think I would be on that side of things. So, what, I, you're, so what you're saying is that Adrian's a nerd. 
Nah. <laughs> I, I don't know. We should have made that question from the audience. <laughs> no. I, I think that personally, I don't really see coding or developing as work. And you sort of tie whatever expectations you want to onto work. Um, and regardless of what career you choose, there's always going to be the pressure of doing career. So I, my initial career choice that I wanted to be was I wanted to be an artist. But that is kind of what Adrian was saying, but to the extreme. Like your work is completely dictated by um, who, you, who you're making paintings for yeah, and who you've pictures. got the commissions for. Yeah. Um, so in any field, if you try and make your hobby into your career, you're going to end up not doing exactly what you want to do. You're going to feel that pressure. But I think just making sure that you realize why you chose to do it in the first place and sort of getting back to basics and treating everything as fun and playing a bit with code and having kind of coding competitions and doing stuff outside of your work is a good way of sort of maintaining your love for it but at the same time making your living off it cool um so now that you've nearly come to the end of your degree um are you happy with your choice of don't please don't have like a life crisis <laughs> happy with your choice of stuff for engineering or now that you've done a research project more in the medical like biomedical field um would that be something you'd want to explore further or so i think in hindsight if if i could choose my degree from the start again i'm going to be controversial and i'd say that I'd probably have chosen computer science just because it gives you more flexibility. Punked software engineering. Just because it gives you more flexibility in what you want to do, you can opt into the honors year or you can choose not to do it depending how you're going. So you've got more flexibility there. But that being said, I don't regret doing software engineering because they make you take a ton of compulsory courses which actually end up benefiting you mm-hmm. and making you a better software engineer. And I wouldn't have done honours if I wasn't forced to. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's, at the end of the day, much of a muchness. But right now, if I knew what I did now and I had to pick one of the two, I'd probably do computer science for its flexibility. And also because you get a bit sick of taking comp subjects yeah. at the end. So it's nice to just take free electives and do pottery at Kofa or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't at least say like law or something. It's what you <laughs> wished you'd Oh, we love done. to we love to dunk on law. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any advice for listeners in general? How so? Sorry. When you, yeah, very, um, very, very broad. Very broad. If you don't have any, we can always cut it out. Um, life, no. Uh, as in philosophical. I guess you've already given. I I don't know. I think the main thing is to sort of pursue something because you actually enjoy doing it and not be dictated by what you think you should be doing or the prestige of something or money or wealth or any external factor. I know everyone sort of says that to like differing degrees, but I think that kind of going through that process and at the end of my degree now, I, I sort of see where they were coming from. And I think that if you think that you're in the wrong degree and you think you'd be happier doing something else, then I think you should at least try it or give it a go. 
and identify when you're not happy about what you're doing early so that you can actually transition out of it and start finding things that you are really happy doing. Cool. So um, sort of briefly touched on this, but so next year, um, what sort of plans do you have and what's the next big thing for you now that you, well, soon graduating? Um, so I'm moving back to America early next year. Is this for the grad role? Yeah, this is for the grad role. So a lot of the advantage of getting a lot of internships is that if you perform to an adequate standard in your internship, you'll yeah. get a return off them most likely. It depends on what company you go to, of course, but in the most case, an internship is almost like an extended interview or trial process. Um, so I was lucky to get a return offer. Um, so I'm going back to Seattle next year, and I guess that's the next chapter in my life. Sort of don't know what I want to do yet, but eventually my goal is to sort of somehow transition out of corporate and corporations and use the knowledge that I've got um, to actually transition into more humanitarian things. So so kind of tying it back to your volunteering with Alzheimer's. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I know that a lot of these charities don't have the resources to actually build these applications. Yeah. So starting to do non-for-profit. Open source? Uh, open source projects, but also just how lawyers do pro bono work, somehow like trying to incentivize software engineers to do like pro bono work and make that sort of part of the conversation in corporates so that on a Friday, on the last Friday of every month, there's a day where it's accepted in um, software engineering companies for everyone to do pro bono work or something like that, just to make sure that corporates don't sort of lose ties to the communities and what they're sort of really like part of. Cool. Well, that's about it for my questions. Do you have anything else that you wanted to ask, Aditi? Uh, no, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you to Oliver to, for talking with us today. And thanks for tuning in. And we hope you've learned quite a bit from Oliver. Yeah. And we'll include whatever we missed out on in the show notes. <laughs> Essays for one. No. Cool. Yeah, if you want to retake anything, go for it. But no, that should be it. Okay. Thank you, guys.